Hey there, listener. A few days back, we dropped a show in your feed called The Call. It was a collaboration with This American Life, and we are super proud of it. Today's show is a companion to that one. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to The Call yet, go back. Give it your ears. We'll be here when you're finished. Okay, on with the show. Before I tell you who Sideria Asprey Cressfield is, I want to tell you about where she lives. Good morning. Hi. Oh, my, oh gosh. my gosh. Look at that puppy. <laughs> I went to visit her the other day up in Harlem. She answered the door carrying her little black poodle. What's your name? Lola. Lola. Oh, my God. This is a gorgeous home. sideria has got the type of home most New Yorkers could only dream about. It's a brownstone with manicured planter boxes out front and more flowers on the stoop. Inside, the walls are wood-paneled and warm. She collects work from Black artists. The paintings are exquisite, and she just renovated the kitchen. Sideria loves this place, has lived here for almost 30 years. Anyway, the first thing I asked her was for a favor. I wanted her to give me a tour of the neighborhood. Sideria is the perfect person to lead you around Harlem because she's watched this place change over the course of decades. And Sideria's often been at the forefront of that change. Take the community garden across the street from her house. It's lush and green, but it was not always like that. It's been demolished at least three times. What, the building on this site? No, the garden. The garden? Yeah, yeah. Because Once, she says, a building fell on it. Another time, some construction workers simply used the garden as a dumping ground. Each time, Sideria made sure the site was replanted, rebuilt. Yeah. We had a lot of people come in from New York Cares, which was wonderful. Uh-huh. I mean, thousands. And we got it done. Wow. It took about a year, but we got it done. So you've always been someone who's, like, interested in your neighborhood, who's wanting to, like, improve yeah, it. That's it's, your thing. It's kind of in my blood. It's in my kids' blood. But I was here to talk to Sideria about a different kind of change in this neighborhood. One she's had nothing to do with. One she worries will threaten her years of hard work. A few steps away from that garden, you could get a sense of it. So right now, this is a nice calm block. Yeah. If you come through here about 7 o'clock, it's hard getting through the streets. It's that bad. What's happening? It's filled with drug dealers and drug users. Huh. Sideria thinks she knows where the drug dealers and drug users are coming from. Almost two years back, the country's first supervised consumption site opened its doors just down the street from her. It's known as On Point. The thing you can consume there is drugs, heroin, fentanyl. Public health leaders say On Point has saved a thousand lives. That's because as soon as someone here shows sign of an overdose, the staff can step in and reverse things. But Sideria... She can't help but wonder, at what cost? As we got closer and closer to On Point, Sideria got more and more frustrated. No, just look at the people. Everyone I'm looking at right now, there's not a single person that's not on drugs. Not one. To be honest, sometimes I could see what Sideria was pointing out. Other times, not so much. I wanted to speak with her, though, because the things Sideria and people like her see have become a powerful force shaping the way America deals with its overdose crisis. 
I'm here in East Harlem on 126th Street, and behind me is one of two safe injection sites allowed to operate in the city. The goal of- Since it opened, the safe injection site here, on point, has been battling with its neighbors. I see them dealing right in front of my face. These needles are being left in the street. In my, my neighborhood, they're all over. But places like On Point are also battling for the public narrative. Are they an essential part of the health infrastructure? Or, as Fox News puts it, government-operated drug dens? I mean, when you create centers of drug abuse inside a city, it just attracts addicts and dealers. How long before the Sinaloa cartel sets up shop across the street? It's clear how Sideria feels about all this. She founded a group known as the Greater Harlem Coalition. And it's been laser-focused on shutting down the country's first official safe injection site. If people had one word to describe you, how would they describe you? Forceful. Mm. Why do you say that? Because I get stuff done. I'm relentless. I'm relentless and I believe in long-term projects, whereas a lot of people peter out after a year or two of trying to work on something. I will not stop. You outlast. I outlast them all. And I will continue to do that because that's what it takes to get some things done. Today on the show, if there is one thing we can all agree on, It's that there's an overdose crisis in this country. So, why can't we agree on how to fix it? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. So, Sideri, can you just start by telling me a little bit about who you are? Like, you said you were raised in New York City. Actually, I was born in South Carolina, so my family was one of those that migrated to New York. So I've been here since I was five. And I've lived in Harlem, in East Harlem, and then we moved to Queens. And I lived there, went to school there, graduated college there, and met my husband. And from there we decided that we wanted to purchase a house. And we read this article in the New York Times and it talked about the adventures of owning real estate and where you should go if you'd like to invest in something. And one of those places for investment was Harlem. Listening back to Sideria answer this question, it tells you a lot, I think, about who she is and how she thinks about the world. She's proud, smart, And to her, a home is not just a place to put down roots. It's an investment. By the time Sideria and her family moved in, this neighborhood had been fighting off a terrible reputation, fueled by racism, for decades. They live here in New York's Harlem, the nation's largest black ghetto, its worst slum, and perhaps its largest breeding ground for crime on the streets. This 60 Minutes piece is from the 1960s. The language here is frankly hard to listen to filled with assumptions about the people living here. In just this one square mile of Harlem, the 28th precinct, police estimate that 20,000 of the 80,000 who live here, one out of every four, are heroin addicts and therefore muggers, purse snatchers, shoplifters, housebreakers, or prostitutes. Fast forward a couple decades, and public health workers were eyeing Harlem 
as a place to help drug users. Next, will New York's experiment with free needles for addicts reduce the spread of AIDS or increase drug use? Almost immediately, this kind of outreach was controversial. A Harlem pastor became an outspoken critic of what is now a fairly routine public health intervention, a needle exchange. Well, giving out free needles would be paramount to an, giving an arsonist matches and telling them not to strike them. Around this time is when Sideria bought her home. She says back then, her block was known as an open-air marketplace for drugs. But slowly, she advocated for things to change. She helped build that community garden. She got to know her neighbors. And for a while, in the early 2000s, it really felt like the changes she'd ushered in, they might be permanent. Things really got better. I mean, it was beautiful out. People started taking care of their homes a lot better. There were flowers on the street. They started putting up tree guards. I mean, those are little things that you see in other neighborhoods, but they really make an impact when you're walking down your block and all you see are flowers, you know, beautiful flowers. So we started heading in that direction. We had so many tourists uptown too, and that was nice as well. So on the weekends, just up and down the avenues, up and down the streets. You know, people were just constantly here taking pictures. And it was just, it was a good feeling. When did On Point move in? On Point moved in, it's been 20, 22 months now. 22 months. Oh, so now. just a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. My understanding is that this area had a lot of services for people who use drugs, whether that's methadone clinics or something else. And that you were sort of watching that happen and even kind of talking to the city because the city was floating the idea of like, maybe we'll have a safe consumption site. Yes. And that you and neighbors were talking to the city and saying, well, where are you going to put it in our neighborhood? Right. Tell me about that. Like, why did you start talking to this? Why were you like, we got to be on this? We were on this in 2018. That's when we first started hearing about a safe, they called them safe injection sites at the time. And we were speaking to one of our political leaders. And she mentioned- You don't want to name names? No. (laughs) And she mentioned the fact that, you know, be on the lookout because we think this is coming. And I said, well, that's the last thing that we need, especially with all of these methadone clinics in the area. And then I started reading more. And then I started rallying the community, told them what I heard was happening and decided we'd have a community meeting about it. And we did. And that's when we pretty much, you know, opened Pandora's box. And that's when we started fighting before it actually came to fruition. Why fight it? Like why, um, I don't know, you could have two reactions. You could react and say, oh my God, this is going to be awful. Or you could say like, oh, like maybe this will keep people safe and let's see how it goes. Because we were already overburdened with these types of facilities. Harlem and East Harlem has the most facilities out of all of New York City, but we don't have the population to support the facilities. So now they have populations coming in from as far as Staten Island. They have a bus that comes from Staten Island. That's an hour and a half ride to go around the corner for their methadone. Staten Island has a huge overdose problem, second to the Bronx. Why isn't there a facility in Staten Island? It's systemic racism because it's only black and brown communities that these types of things happen in. I mean, they tried to open a homeless shelter on the um, Upper West Side 
they shut that thing down in no time. And we're talking about one facility. And like I said, I have numerous just right around the corner from me. So no, we did not want to be dumped on again. Not anymore. So since 2018, Sideria and some of her neighbors have been in these meetings with city council members and other local elected officials. They've been saying, hey, we really do not like the idea of a supervised consumption site up here in Harlem. Couldn't you put it somewhere else? I asked Sideria, did it feel like these politicians were hearing you? It was the exact opposite hmm. because they did not understand where everyone was coming from. They just thought that black people had a problem. And if black people had a problem, then they should be able to address it. And that's why their arms were always open to allow these facilities to come to Harlem. Well, so they thought black people had a problem, the problem being addiction? Addiction, yeah. So the idea was, but we're helping you. We're bringing you this facility. They thought that they were. And I really feel that they did. A good example is Bill Perkins. He was our council person at the time. So we had a meeting with the councilman. And we said, you know, look, Bill, this is getting to be ridiculous. We can't have all of these people in the neighborhood. He said, these people are my constituents. I said, but they're not. They're coming from all over. He says, well, they're my people and I'm going to support them. There was nothing that we could do about it. Because then we had to fight the politicians too. As if he was saying they're his constituents, I don't think that's necessarily totally untrue. Certainly some people from the neighborhood are using the services. I'm sure some people were. But are they voting for him? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. When did you learn that On Point would be opening this safe injection site just on the street? We learned the day they opened. This is clearly a sore spot for Sideria. The fact that her community did not get a heads up that On Point was moving in. She's got a memory of a community board meeting just a few weeks before the site opened its doors. We also know that there's evidence to show that overdose prevention centers reduce deaths in the, in the surrounding neighborhood, reduce public drug use, reduce syringe litter. A representative from the New York City Department of Mental Health and Hygiene was there. And they talked about what it would be like to have such a facility. They wanted to let the community board know that this was something that they were thinking about, not anything that they were doing, but something that, you know, was just sort of rolling around and they wanted to know how the community felt about it. So Eva, the floor is yours. The very first question the community board asks this city representative is loaded with suspicion. A member asks, why are you here? Are you asking to put a safe consumption site here in East Harlem? I'm so Today, what are you asking for? You're asking to add um, an overdose prevention center in East Harlem or to support for the prevention center to be set up in New York City. I believe that four sites have been chosen already. Right. So the health, So we're talking to many community boards about this. Um, especially so of course, the community was up in arms. No, we don't want a facility like this here. No way. And they walked away with, you know, okay, fine, thank you. We appreciate, you know, your feedback. I just want to be clear that there is no ask. This is an informational presentation. There is no site in East Harlem on the table right now. This is an informational presentation because I'm. They didn't tell anyone in the community they were opening. We just happened to have gotten a phone call from someone that worked across the street 
and they said, this place has opened. Do you think maybe they didn't tell you because they worried? It's sort of an approach of like better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. Well, actually, that's exactly what they said. That's exact. Those are the exact words from the on point supervisor that it was better to ask for forgiveness. Yes. And she said that in a meeting. We actually have it in our notes. So I've seen her say say it. And, you know, on the other side, you're saying you want to help people, but you don't care about the community. You care about a select few. But what about all of the people that have lived here for decades? On Point opened its doors in November 2021. Sidiria says she saw a change in the neighborhood almost immediately. The drug Dealers were everywhere. Oh, my goodness. And so were the drug addicts. How did you know the drug dealers were back? Like, do you, like how do you, do you have like a radar for spotting people? Yeah, when you've lived around them enough, you know, you can you can look at their mannerisms. You could see most drug dealers are not drug users. You can see that difference, too. So you can see when, you know, someone's holding court and there's a bunch of users around you, you know, you can sort of identify what that person is doing. And they had police on every corner. They had police station in front of the school. They had police station in front of On Point. They would have the drug dealers on one side, the people walking up the steps to use the facilities in the middle. And then on the other side, they would have the police officers. And the police officers would not arrest any of those people that were purchasing drugs. And that's the way it's been for months. And they wouldn't arrest the dealers either? No. It was, you know, they came to an agreement that they weren't going to do anything. And they didn't. It sounds like you have met with the director of On Point, though. The guy who's leading it? Yes. Sam Rivera. What was that like? When was the first time you spoke to him? Oh, I've spoken to Sam on so many occasions. And we're in meetings at least every other week. We're in the same meetings. And it was great meeting with him. I mean, he knows what he wants. He knows what he wants to do. He has a kind heart to do what he's doing. And my heart goes out to anyone that can do that type of work because it's heart-wrenching to see a human being on drugs walking into a facility like that. And they're, they're just spaced out. And in that case, you know, they're hungering for a drug. And The people there are there to support them, to make sure that they don't die from an overdose, from uh, using the drug, to give them supportive services, but they don't focus on recovery. That's my problem. When we come back, On Point would say it will help a drug user recover in their own time. Why that approach doesn't work for Sideria. I spoke with Sidiria at a really interesting time for her, because a few days before we spoke, the U.S. attorney in Manhattan gave a statement to The New York Times, and he implied that he was preparing to shut On Point down. He called the opioid epidemic a law enforcement crisis. And when we walked in her door, Sidiria was gleeful. Did you see the Times article yesterday? Yes, we did. did. Yes, that was a good one. (laughs) Finally. 
safe consumption sites like On Point operate in a legal gray area. It's blessed by the city, but technically against federal law. This statement was the first sign Sideria had gotten that politicians were hearing her concerns. And maybe, maybe they'll see a difference now. Sideria is right that many of the people who use Harlem for addiction services do not live there. She's right, too, that Harlem and its residents have been historically dismissed again and again. But she also sees using drugs as wrong. Alarming, even. She talked a lot about kids. There's a preschool just across from On Point. Lots of people have presented this fact as a shocking contrast. But when I asked Sideria if the preschool had joined her efforts to have On Point removed, she said they hadn't. Sideria herself admitted she's never been inside On Point. But when she imagines what goes on there, it alarms her. They come in. They use On Point. They can get food. You know, they can just sit. They can relax. They can use their drugs. They can have their clothes washed. But then they go back out on the street. So what exactly is it that you're accomplishing? They didn't OD there at that moment. But it's not as if they're not going to have drugs for the rest of the night. They're going to have drugs someplace else. So what you're doing is just so temporary. But you're destroying a neighborhood and you're destroying the minds of children. That's what we're afraid of. This normalization is not right. That is just not normal behavior. How have you seen the character of the community change? Or you say you talk about like destroying the minds of children. Like, how have you seen those things? When I came home last night, there's a guy shooting up on my steps. I just hate to think when I take my grandkids out, it hurts me when I see all of these drug addicts in the street. Their pants are down, most of them are mentally ill, they're dirty. I don't want them to think that this is normal. So you feel bad on one side, but then on the other side, they're impacting your quality of life. And that's something that you've built for years, and all of a sudden, they're tearing it down. I mean, my understanding is that On Point's been pretty open to dialogue. Like, they gave the people at the preschool across the street from them a tour, and then they offered to, like, have people sort of be out front of the preschool to make people feel more comfortable, especially as kids were coming and going. Did you ever think of going to On Point and being like, here are the things that would make our lives better? Like another thing they do is they pick up needles, is my understanding, pretty regularly. They clean up the streets. So are there things they could be doing like that? Have you ever gone to them and said like, listen, I get it that you're here, but how can we have like a shared understanding about how this works? Well, I guess there can't, they cannot be because we don't want them there. We don't want them there. Sam is open to conversation. I can call him right now and he will call me back. He's open to conversation. But we, we just don't. We're just inundated with these services. And my heart goes out to people that are users. And it really does. But I, I just don't think you need to be here. And I just think that they need services. They're not giving them the The services are available There just needs to be some sort of way that they need to mandate it. They can't just have people that are just out on the street every day taking drugs and disrupting other people's lives, as well as their own. Have you known anyone personally who struggled with addiction? Yes. Yes. 
So do you think mandating treatment for them would have fixed whatever they were going through? I don't know if it would fix it, but I think they would it would help it because not everyone goes back to drugs. You know, I think if you have more of a supportive system that you have a better chance. These are people this happened like so many years ago and, and it just I don't think that they had the options that they have now in order to um to get the mental health issues taken care of because that's really the problem. You can't just take them off of drugs and and say, okay, now we're done. It's a mental health issue. So they need to continuously go back. And it may be lifetime. One of the interesting things I read was the guy who leads On Point, he mentioned you in an interview or your organization and said one of the reasons he very much wants more safe consumption sites all over the city is because he thinks if he can disperse the safe consumption sites, people like you with your objections will feel better about everything because it won't be so intense here. Do you agree with that? Do you think that if that happens and if things ease, it feels less extreme, you'll feel like you've reached a goal? If they were able to open more of these facilities in other boroughs, meeting the needs of the people there, and we had less here, I would consider that to be a goal accomplished. A goal. A goal. Not the goal. No, just a goal. Because I think ultimately, we want these people helped. Well, On Point would say they are helping. Well, On Point's help is to make sure that they live. We get that. You know, we don't want a single death, but we also want a better life. And if they have more of these facilities in other places, well, then maybe we won't be bombarded. But this is not the answer. So your goal is fewer people using drugs. Yes. So that they'll have a better quality of life and the people around them will have a better quality of life. I want to know that someone is constantly trying to get better, at least being on the road or at least sustaining themselves in some kind of way that's not so harmful to themselves or harmful to people, you know, outside. But it's a trap, right? They might push you away if you're coming in too heavy with like recovery, recovery, recovery. Right. But what do you do? Do you continue just to take drugs for the rest of your life until you die because you OD? Or do you try to get help? Hmm. I do feel like there are people who are going to listen to what you have to say. And they may have this thought in their mind that you are prioritizing your comfort over other people's lives? I'm not just prioritizing my comfort because if I'm seeking comfort, I could just leave New York and go someplace else, real simple. I am working with my community and I am working toward the comfort of the people that are here in New York, specifically in Harlem. This is where we get our support from. If they didn't care, I wouldn't do what I'm doing because I have choices. I can do something else. They don't have choices. A lot of people don't, but they want a better chance at living a normal, decent, safe life. Those are the people that we're helping to support. 
Sideria, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you for hearing me out. Just appreciate it. Sideria Asbury-Cressfield is a co-founder of the Greater Harlem Coalition. She's also a former vice president for J.P. Morgan Chase. And that's our show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to find out how. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.